there and welcome back to Season 2, Episode 26 of the Clarity Podcast. This podcast is all about providing clarity, insight, and encouragement for life and mission. And my name is Aaron Santemeyer, and I'm going to be your host. Today we have the phenomenal opportunity to have our friend of the podcast, Dick Foth, with us back for a session of Back Channel with Foth. And then we'll jump into our conversation with Rob Wegner, where we discuss the book, um, his book, The Starfish and the Spirit. Just a challenging book for me, and um, you won't want to miss the discussion with Rob. Just an encouragement for all, for all of us that are out there as disciple makers and as leaders, and um, what type of person and leader do we want to be, and uh, creating networks of, of starfish and not spiders. Uh, Dick, so glad to have you back with us again today. Thank you. It's always a pleasure, and and uh, I learn things every time I listen to your podcast, too, so it's good. Awesome. Awesome. Appreciate you, Dick. Um, got two questions um, that uh, one listener sent in. What books are you reading now? And I see one behind you, but what books are you reading now? Well, I, some of the books that I have behind me, I haven't read yet. I just okay. have behind me, I could read them. <laughs> no, you don't have that problem. But So um, the first book happens to be a commentary. Hmm. I, I don't read loads of commentaries, but I'm, I have a little... We're doing a four-person Zoom Bible study with okay. three other guys and myself on the book of James. Hmm. And in researching what would be a great commentary, one of the more recent ones that's really excellent is by Dr. Douglas, Dr. Douglas Moo, like hmm. how, M-O-O, mm-hmm. and it's a letter of James. So wow. I commend that to folks yeah. who want to study James. Um I'm a big fan of a gentleman who passed away last summer by the name of Sir Ken Robinson. Hmm. Sir Ken Robinson was an educator in England. And um, he, he has a, if you go to TED Talks, mm-hmm. it's probably the single most watched TED Talk in the history of TED Talks. Wow. It's on, it's on creativity mm-hmm. and uh, how education is, um, is eroding creativity in our kids. Wow. And he, he's funny. He's smart. Uh, he, one of his great stories, if I could just take a moment. Yeah. Tell this, he, he talks about kids are creative in class, but this one little girl was not very engaged in class, maybe six, seven years old. And, um, but they did an art project and they said, draw a picture. And so the teacher saw her drawing furiously back. They went back and said, honey, what are you, what are you drawing a picture of? And the little girl said, I'm drawing a picture of God. And the teacher said, well, I mean, nobody, nobody knows what God looks like. And the little girl looked up with a grin and said, they will in a minute. (laughs) And Robinson has a number of books. And the one I'm reading now is called Out of Your, Out of Our Minds, Hmm. The Power of Being Creative. Wow. Out of Our Minds. Hmm. Really, really fun stuff to read about creativity. Awesome. And then... For the third time, I'm trying to finish The Hobbit. <laughs> I have, I have uh, grandchildren who probably think I'm a reprobate for not having read <laughs> Tolkien, so, so I'm, and I want to read the book before I go and look at the movie or something. You know, I've seen the book of it. Anyway, so that sort of reflects how I read. Yeah, I, I read some stuff that's theological, but I read a bunch of stuff that that isn't one of my favorite books is uh, Dr. Stephen Johnson. It's scientific history hmm. and it's how we got to now. Huh. Really. I've never heard really. of that one. 
That's, that does sound very interesting. I'll have to look that, look that one up. Their second question for you is, who are you learning from and who are you learning with? And I think my response to that question is learning what? Hmm. I have sort of two responses. One, that's one piece, learning what about what. Yeah. But years ago, and I don't, I don't think this was a moment in time. I think I eased into this. I came to an understanding that if I asked the right questions, I could learn from anybody. Hmm. And this really came into the fore when I went to DC because I didn't know anything about State Department protocols right. or stuff. <laughs> and so I remember asking an ambassador from a country, Mr. Ambassador, I don't know anything really about State Department protocols. Would you be my teacher? Mm. And he said, absolutely. Mm. Uh, people like to be asked to be your teacher. Yeah. So I say to my grandkids, you know, I have trouble keeping up with the culture. Can you talk to me about the range of music? Let's say they're 14-year-olds right. or 18-year-olds. Yeah. Talk to me about the range of music because when, when I'm with a lot of different kids, they're all listening to different stuff. Somebody's yeah. listening to retro. Somebody's listening right. to Sinatra even. Right. You know, and, and, you know, whatever. So I think my teachers are the – I learn from the people from whom I ask to learn. Hmm. Sometimes in a more formal sense. Yeah. In a more particular sense, um, on April 1st, a dear friend, and some who come from assemblies backgrounds would know this name, Dr. Robert Cooley, mm. passed away in, in Charlotte, Virginia. Mm. Excuse me, in Charlotte, North Carolina. Bob Cooley had been president of Gordon Conwell Seminary for years. He was a mm. world-class archaeologist. And we had a chance over a series of Zoom calls this past year not knowing he was going to pass away then, to just have conversations with him. So several friends and I would be on there. Your friend Mike Messner set yeah. this up. And uh, just listening to this repository of um, knowledge about Old Testament and wow. the character of God was really, was really uh, strong. Yeah. And then I think I learn about strategic planning oftentimes from colleagues who are trying to work through that mm -hmm. or from architects. Hmm. I had a friend who was an architect that helped me understand the value of looking at the whole piece uh, and, and property, of course, and buildings were the metaphor, mm -hmm. but the architecture of a message or the yeah. architecture of a project. Yeah. Although anyway, very, that's, very that's interesting. what I got. Very, very interesting. Dick, it's always gold to have you on. Really appreciate it. We're going to go ahead and jump into our interview with uh, Rob Wagner, where we discuss his book, The Starfish and the Spirit, and uh, a book that I have uh, read twice, challenged me on uh, my theories and thoughts on leadership, on whether I'm a starfish or I'm a spider, and on um, what kind of organization as I lead and develop, um, I want to to do. And so I uh, really appreciate Rob and his investment in us. Well, there's no time better than now to get started. So here we go. Well, greetings and welcome back to the Clarity Podcast. So excited to be here today with a new friend. Um, I've, I've read his book twice um, as I'm preparing for this podcast. Twice? Well, I did. Um, and uh, it's, it's, I that said. That is the, uh, <laughs> C.S. Lewis said that's the ultimate compliment you can give a book. 
So that's well, very meaningful. It's it's uh, it was it's challenging and it was new for me. And um, so I think when you you want to make sure you get it, you get the information and read it over. So Rob Wegner, um, welcome to the podcast. And uh, would you just take a few minutes and just share a little bit about yourself before we jump into the discussion on the book? Yeah, you bet, Aaron. It's great to be with you. Um, really glad to be a part of your conversation to resource and equip missionaries. Um, my name is Rob and I live in Kansas City. We were so, so ready to win the Super Bowl this year. <laughs> <laughs> we're still rearing from the game where our team just never showed up. It was yeah. like, where are the Chiefs? They're not here. <laughs> so anyway, forget. Um, as you can tell there's some kind of trauma. I'm still trying to get over there. We six years ago fell in love with Kansas City Really. Huh? Beautiful things here in the Big C Church, and uh, we're very grateful to be a part of it. Our role um, is helping to direct the Kansas City Underground, mm. and we are a mission agency. We're organized as a mission agency uh, to train ordinary people to know how to plant themselves among an unreached pocket of people here in the city. Mm. And that's not just ethnic groups. It could be uh, affinity groups, you know, in an urban context. There's literally thousands and thousands of actually very distinct little cultural pockets of people. They all need a missionary and they all need the gospel. And so we want to help ordinary folks do that work. And when they partner with Jesus and planting themselves and the gospel, Jesus draws people to himself and new disciples emerge. And then we've got this new group of disciples. We call that a microchurch. So then we help provide support uh, for the microchurches so they can flourish and multiply so our dream is to fill Kansas City with the beauty, justice, the goodness of Jesus. Uh, that's based off of Ephesians 1. That we are the fullness of him. That's the church who fills everything every way. And uh, we can't do that without Jesus. We won't be able to do it completely until his return. Yeah. Uh, but we're not, we're not just treading water until then. We're, yeah. we're praying his kingdom would come, his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So that's what I'm up to. And yeah. um, huge advocate. Uh, it, both personally, Michelle and I, and then for uh, the underground as well. We, internationally, we really want to support um, the work that's being done with unreached people groups and unengaged people groups and those that are helping equip and build capacity in local indigenous leaders. So if you're listening to this and um, wondering if there's anyone out there who's for you, the Kansas City Underground is. Thank you for your missionary work, wherever it is. It matters to Jesus and it matters to us. Amen. And in the middle of all that, you had time to write a book. Um, and <laughs> that's, uh, that's quite fascinating. Uh, so the, I wrote it in my, mostly in my garage, actually. <laughs> wow. That's, uh, it was, yeah. The concept of the spider and starfish um, was new to me. Um, and then the link between, and then your, the starfish and the spirit. Can you chose? Can you just share some reasons? You know how you link those two, and what the kind of the um, origin of the book was. Well, um, in the early two thousands, uh, one of the guys who was a mentor to me was a guy named Ron Vandergren. He'd been a, a missionary, church planner, um, and had this sort of Barnabas gift where he could find young emerging leaders, and he would just put his arm around them and develop them. And at that point in time, he was working for the Bible League, which did kind of Bible printing distribution. But they were also doing church planning at that point in time because they didn't want Bibles just being thrown out the back of a bus like, hey, here's a Bible. No, we actually want Bibles that make get used to make disciples, you know. 
And Ron's probably got, I'm not kidding, 150,000 church plants in his lineage because he's developed four or five dozen apostolic leaders in different nations. So he had this gang together in India and was uh, pulling them together for the first time. And it was a kind of, they were getting together thinking about gospel saturation in a particular region of India. So I got to go on this ride with that group. And so did the church that I was pastoring at. Um, And it wasn't your typical, like, quote unquote missions thing where you send checks and then drop in once a year. It was a really, really deep partnership. So around 2005, 2006, it was becoming a legitimate disciple making movement. Mm. Um, That that phrase gets thrown around a lot, but I'm talking like David Watson, David Garrison, that gang. They're like, you know, this is legit, you know, and it's blowing my mind. Right. Because I'm spending two or three months a year there and it just ruins you. <laughs> it's like, well, it's like walking around the book of Acts. Yeah. This is apparently the original design for the church. <laughs> you know? What is going on here? And how can I explain this to my church? And well, I'm on a plane ride to India. And it's a long haul. Uh, and I read two books that came out in 2006 on the same plane ride. Hmm. The Forgotten Ways by Alan Hirsch. Mm-hmm. And the Starfish and the Spider by Ori Brofman. And mm-hmm. it was like sitting in some kind of master class with Jesus. Wow. Speaking through Alan. And then through Ori, who's oddly enough, at that point was an atheist, teaches bastion of human secularism in America. <laughs> you know, and uh but he was describing um, a form of leadership that I was seeing on the ground, which wasn't mm-hmm. about centralization of power, but the decentralization of power wow. and a true grassroots movement built around like what you could call fractal DNA. Mm-hmm. And he was describing in terms of, you know, Al Qaeda or Napster or Alcoholics Anonymous, you know, yeah. or the Navajo Indians earlier in the American history and yeah. all these examples of kind of decentralized leadership and how decentralized leadership is a form of leadership that, is actually required for movements. Hmm. And, and so that was a game changer. Those two books have, they're the kind of books in a lot of ways that I never stop reading. They're always sort of operating in the back of my mind. Yeah. So in the analogy with the starfish and the spider that Ori came up with, um, you know, the spider and the starfish, you know, from a little bit of a distance, they have similar kind of body shapes. Yeah. And the closer you get, the more different they seem. And then when actually you look underneath the surface, they're vastly different. So they both have a main body with radial arms going out. Right. Um, but you chop off the head of a spider in rip, rest in yeah. peace, it's dead. Yeah. <laughs> you chop off, you know, what looks like the head of the starfish, you actually end up with two starfish because they have yeah. everything needed to replicate. Because it actually operates like a neural network, the whole mm-hmm. starfish does. And he was saying there are centralized organizations that look very strong but if you chop off the head, they're done. Yeah. And you think about, I'm not throwing shade on anyone, but you think about, um, there's so many examples right now, whether it's Ravi Zacharias and his ministry or yeah. Mark Driscoll and the Mars Hill network. Right. I mean, one minute it literally was, Hey, this is the fastest growing church in America. Everyone's like, this is amazing. And then yeah. literally a week later it's falling apart. And then within months they're literally shutting down campuses yeah. And it looks so strong, but it was actually very fragile hmm. where these disciple making movements, you know, in 2414 is tracking those. There's 3,500 different 
um, movements they're tracking, 1,400 of which are actually legitimately disciple-making movements, church-planting yeah. movements, uh, you, you, you could never kill them. Yeah. <laughs> you can't do it. <laughs> it's like running out into a field and there's a thousand field mice and you're just trying to stomp them all. You can't do it, yeah. you know? Because yeah. the, there's nodes of power all throughout this starfish network and it's reproducing at every level. There's yeah. disciples reproducing and leaders reproducing and microchurches reproducing and networks reproducing. And then what we call hubs, which are like apostolic equipping teams, the trainers, you yeah. know, that are equipping the missionaries and the microchurches. So it's really been sort of a 20 year journey for me of, okay, why not here? Why not us? Like, what does mm-hmm. this look like in, in the Western context? And that's where the book came out of. It was um, a lot of experiments and a lot of failure and a ton of repentance and prayer and fasting. And we've begun to really see sort of a flywheel that's starting to move now. Yeah. Um, and so we're just trying to get that out because a lot of church leaders in the West look at that form of church and they're like, well, that's for India and China. We can't do that here. Yeah. Yeah. Really? You know, and, have you, have and you really that- tried it? <laughs> well, and that, that segues into my next question for you. You know, you talk, uh, you share in the book about the primary source of leadership that is centralized, has a high human, high, you put it as high unnecessary human cost. Can you unpack, you know, why there is that high unnecessary human cost and then how the starfish model doesn't have that high cost? You bet. So I'm reading a very interesting commentary right now in the book of Ephesians by a guy named Tim Gombas, scholar name. He's not a guy. He's a scholar. This guy knows what he's doing. <laughs> he's, and he talks about the theme of principalities and powers. Mm-hmm. Um, and not just in Ephesians, kind of the, in the Jewish worldview. Yeah. And it was this idea that there were uh, angelic beings that had assignments over certain regions like Daniel when he's praying and yeah, you know, uh, was it, it's Michael, I think who comes and says, man, I was tumbling with the, you know, Prince over Greece. And then it was yeah. like, Whoa, what is going on? And that yeah. they're fallen, they're corrupt. Right. Yeah. And when you start reading those passages throughout the old Testament, and of course, new Testament, Paul's insight on it is those create like systems of power that are corrupted. And it's, and originally those angels assignment was to serve, and to uh, so that there would be God's intent is shalom, that there'd be flourishing, but they become self-serving yeah. and then it creates institutions. Yeah. You know, and and so when you see it like in Jesus day, the Roman Empire. It's actually uh, like a physical copy of what's been happening in the spiritual realm yeah. of like this pyramid with, a you know, one or a few at the top who are benefiting inordinately uh, and everyone else is there to sort of push the resources. And so what happens is Jesus comes and shows a completely different way. Hmm. The one who's the highest descends the lowest. Yeah. Literally the one before whom one day every knee shall bow. We look down and he's actually bowing at our feet, washing our feet. Yeah. What is going on? Yeah. What, what is going on? And then who is giving authority to nobody's? They have no status. They don't have the proper education. Uh, and, and Ori, who's now become a friend, even yeah. though, and by the way, he's, I, I would say he would tell you he's moving towards, you know, make, having some really interesting spiritual discoveries himself. Yeah. 
I mean, he will tell you Jesus in the church is the earliest and really best example we have of starfish leadership. So what I mean is Jesus looked at that kind of uh, that form of leadership, the hierarchy. And he said, not so with you. Hmm. Not so with you. And, And then he modeled something completely different. Yeah. And yet, let's be honest. If you look at how most denominations are organized and if you look at how most churches are organized, we've basically sort of taken the industrial model of leadership and then the corporate model of leadership. And we've just kind of cut and pasted it over. Yeah. And, you know, and I'm not saying God isn't moving in and through forms of church. that have hierarchy in it. He is. And I led in them. I was at the top of the hierarchy for most of my adult life, you know, so you can be in a hierarchy and still deconstruct it and be a servant leader. So don't, I'm not saying you're demon possessed if you're in a hierarchy or something like that. But what I'm saying is there is a different way of leading that is decentralized and it's about circles. So Paul didn't go around and set up lead pastors. Yeah. He set up teams of elders. Yeah. And that doesn't mean there isn't an organic hierarchy. There are spiritual fathers and mothers or grandfathers and grandmothers or great, great grand. And they have different stature because they've loved and served in an extraordinary way. And they've become a, a, someone who's caring for a family of families of families, you know? And so we're not saying there isn't different levels of influence. There absolutely is. Yeah. And, but we don't make it structural. We don't create a pyramid where it's like, here's the lead pastor and the, you know, the buck stops with him and then he's got the gun and, uh, and, that what we end up doing is then kind of creating a pseudo head Hmm. and we already have a head. His name is Jesus. Yeah. You know? And so what happens is two things then the the one or the small group of people that become the pseudo head, it's going to crush them. Hmm. You can't bear the weight of it. You weren't, weren't designed to. Hmm. And, and then secondly, well, even people with the best of motives, this is what Timothy Gombas was saying. Like institutions, once you set up a hierarchy, there's some things you cannot uh, avoid. Hmm. Like there will become some form of oppression. Hmm. And so what happens is you have wonderful church leaders who love their people, but the system that they're operating on is inadvertently domesticating God's people. Wow. Because it's like, well, you're the pastor. Yeah. And we're the volunteers. You know, you're the pastor, you're the, you're the professional. Like you, you decide what ministry yeah. is. You decide yeah. what mission we're going to do you and your team. Yeah. And then you invite us to, you know, come along and help you. And I, and I guess I'm supposed to give and maybe volunteer a few hours a month. And then it's like, you're being asked to be an attender, invite other people to attend, volunteer, uh, give some money. Uh, become a member. You can do all those things and never live in your calling. You can do Hmm. all those things and never be a disciple maker. Hmm. Now those things can be a part of disciple making, but let's be honest, you'll get the church in America. That is the discipleship pathway in the vast majority of churches. And it's not making disciples. Wow. Wow. That's a huge cost, bro. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like that's not, it's not okay. Yeah. You know, and I'm not trying to be cruel or mean spirited, um, cause God is at work in that form of church, but I just want to ring the bell again and say, Hey, look, there, there's other ways of doing this. 
outside of the Western world, yeah. in the majority world, it's happening all over the place. Yeah, it's a good word. Good word. Good word. So many of the people that are listening in to, to this podcast are church planners, um, missionaries around the world. So what would a, a church plant that is just beginning, say there's somebody going to, I don't know, somewhere in the world and they're going to they're going to go to plant a church. What would that look like in the in a starfish model or the starfish? Uh, yeah. Starfish model. Well, you know, buy the biggest building you can and then get a really awesome worship band. And then just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) The reason I start with that is a lot of what gets called church planning is actually we're planting a a weekend service. We're trying to plant a meeting. Wow. And uh, I just think clearly that's um, almost, it's like an adventure missing the point. Hmm. And, uh, and it's become an industrial complex in America. I mean, you're, you're talk, if you look at the amount of money and time and energy that goes into planting new weekend services. Yeah. And inadvertently, we're training pastors then to be event planners. Hmm. Wow. It's not really the heart of the matter, yeah. you know? So the, the way we think about it is um, Jesus sent people. This is going to... Sounds so basic because it is, <laughs> but it's like, let's go back to Luke 10. You know, let's go back to, you know, the, the story of the early church. It's like, you can't go alone. So you have to have a partner and a team. And sometimes those teams were sometimes Paul had eight or 10 people with them, you know, and uh, be thinking about, uh kind of the purposes of the church and the gifts uh, that the spirit is giving. So for example, you know, Ephesians four apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, teacher. Ephesians four is not a, not a leadership text. It's a body text. Paul's writing to the, in fact, uh, I'm in this other class on Ephesians through the Bible project. I'm obsessed with the book of Ephesians. (laughs) And so, and, uh, the professor who leads that class has done his own translation of the book of Ephesians. And he uses the phrase y'all mm. guess where he's from in the <laughs> translation. <laughs> right. And y'all shows up like, I don't know how many times like over and over and over again. Cause he's trying to make a point. Yeah. He's not like talking to one leader. He's talking to all y'all. Yeah. Like yeah, this is true. a body text. It's a ministry text. It's for all God's people. So when Jesus ascended, he's giving these gifts and is Jesus the ultimate apostle. Yep. Is Jesus the ultimate prophet? Yep. Evangelist, shepherd, teacher. Yep. So he's distributing that to his church and it's like systems in a body. Hmm. Like you have a respiratory system, digestive system, circulatory system. And if all those are working, you're healthy. Yeah. Um, and you need all. So I would say if you're building a team, be thinking about all five of those, hmm. like who's really gifted apostolically. Mm-hmm. So not like an office or a title, like oh, I'm a pulse or Rob. No, like right. a p- apostolic work. Yeah. Send and extend the gospel. Who's gifted evangelistically? Who can invite and share and proclaim? Who's gifted yeah. in terms of teaching? They understand, they explain, they organize. Who's the gifted prophet? They question, they critique, they have an ability to hear and see things that other people don't. And then the shepherd, they know how to guide and care and nurture community. If you build a team around those five things and you take the approach of Luke 10, which is we're going to go, 
Yeah. And we're going to plant ourselves somewhere. We're going to look for a person of peace yeah. who invites us into their network and we're going to stay there. Hmm. And then we're going to eat there yeah. and we're going to live there and we're going to begin to share the gospel there. And then you, what happens is if you do that, Jesus draws people to himself and you have this group of new disciples and a church emerges. So you don't plant a church, you plant missionaries who plant the gospel and then when new disciples emerge, a church emerges. And then you have a new extended spiritual family. That's good. And, and, and then, you know, it's like with any family. Um, it grows. It gets bigger. Eventually, the children go and launch their own family. So you start thinking about multiplication. Yeah. You know, you're thinking, how do we keep reproducing new disciples and these new families? And then you can network those. Yeah. Um, and so that's the approach I would encourage someone to take you know, and to follow that kind of missionary pathway. That's the way Jesus did it. It's the way the early church did it. Um, and it's the way that's many, many of these movements around the world is how it's done. Yeah, that's a good word. And so what I heard you say is it's not one person fulfilling all those five things. There's not one person who is doing the apostolic function, the evangelistic function. The sh- so is that, did I hear you correctly? Is that You're what right. Yeah. Think of it like, from the very beginning, like we're going to be a team of teams. Yeah. And, you know, I needed an apostolic person who wants to build a team to equip other people. Cause the, the goal there is to equip, not for you to be the worker. Yeah. That's you know, good. so it's, you're looking for someone who's a shepherd, but they're willing to equip others to be shepherd and equip everybody with shepherding skills. That's someone good. who's a teacher, but they don't want to be the singular voice yeah. standing behind the pulpit that everybody orbits around. It's like, no, I want to, in the Jesus movement, everyone's a student and everyone's a teacher. That's good. That's good. Right. Yeah. You know, and sure. so you're, you're looking for a team that of uh, folks that they, that uh, have that kind of heart, you know? Yeah, for sure. And you know, that's, that kind of leads me to the next, you talk about leadership pipelines. Um, and so somebody's going to plant a church and then there's a lot uh, talking to the, in today, in today's world about leadership development, leadership pipelines. Um, one, uh, yeah, I said, I read, read over the book several times. This, this one really stuck out to me um, that we focus on skills and techniques and roles, but we're, they're not, they're not built on the foundations of disciple making ended up we and then we end up with the wrong type of leaders um that's that's power packed there so could you just share just what that looks like in a church model when we're focusing on developing leaders and not on a disciple making uh, model yeah absolutely it's interesting at, at least the story arc in america has been grow your church big you know church growth movement and then it shifted to um multi-site and church planting so it's like, okay, can we plant a church? Um, can we multi-site, which is basically cloning a church using video venue or someone else is teaching a similar message or whatever. And what's happened then is after that, it was like, whoo, we need, you know, we need leaders who can lead these things. Yeah. And of course you had John Maxwell and Bill Hybels and it's just, there's been this huge leadership movement. Yeah. Um, but a lot of that has really been training in skills, techniques, leadership principles, like the 21 laws of leadership, um, which, by the way, I practice and believe in. Yeah. Um, but the fundamental problem is you can teach people those things. And it's like giving someone a hammer and a, a screwdriver and... 
what happens is um, if my heart and my soul um, is not being shaped, uh, when I hit my thumb with the hammer, I'm not a good person to be around. Hmm. You know, and that is going to happen. <laughs> it happened a lot. <laughs> and so you have these people that have been given a lot of leadership skills. And some of those tools we've given them are like a power saw. It's yeah. like, you're literally, you, now you have 300 people in a church plant that we taught you how to gather, but in, but your formation in terms of your emotional maturity, your relation maturity, your spiritual maturity is not up to snuff with actually your leadership capabilities. That's good. And so it's like giving a seven-year-old a power saw. Yeah. It's like, ah, it's not a good idea. <laughs> it's not a good idea. Someone is going to get hurt or they're going to hurt themselves. Yeah. So what we need to realize, and this is what I'm very, very encouraged by, um, there is a massive awakening finally to the importance of discipleship and disciple making. Leadership is the fruit of discipleship. It should discipleship is the irreducible core task of the church. Go make disciples, you know? And when you think about the father, you know, kind of theology proper, um, you know, the father ordained salvation, Jesus accomplished it and the spirit applies it. Mm -hmm. And so the spirit is working, you know, we highlight two particular ways because Paul did there's fruit of the spirit and gifts of the spirit. And we just call it character and calling. Mm-hmm. So through the spirit is becoming like Jesus, which yeah. is the greatest invitation we're ever going to receive. Yeah. Like we don't have to just walk around and try to imitate him with human willpower. What a yeah. miserable existence that would be. I've tried it. <laughs> I've, but we can actually become like Jesus and then calling. Yeah. That we get to join Jesus in his mission. In Ephesians 2.10, there's a set body of good works that God's, created for us to actually walk in. And that's a different type of development. We need to learn spiritual habits and rhythms. We need a particular way of doing community in our life. Like Jesus had three, he had 12. We need to be in the context of mission. Jesus didn't say, hey, let's meet at the synagogue for a latte an hour a week. And uh, I'll show you how to be disciples. It's like, nope, let's get in the mix. Yeah. We're going to places that good Jewish boys don't go. We're going to hang out with people that you've never hung out with before, yeah. you know, and, uh, and then you're getting the content uh, along the way hmm. as, as fuel for the journey of becoming and doing. Yeah. And what we've done with discipleship is it's basically just become a data dump where we're just trying to open up people's skulls and pour information in and expect them to be changed. Wow. Um, and it doesn't happen that way. It's not the way Jesus did it. Content is very important. Number yeah. one, the gospel has to yeah. be the content that flavors everything. But then you got to figure out where's the person at on their journey? Are they a yeah. babe? Are they a child? Are they a young adult? Yeah. Are they a parent, an elder? And you get different content at different seasons, you know? Yeah. So that's, that's it, man. Like we, we need discipleship and disciple making as the core um, part of any leadership pipeline. Yeah. And that should be our obsession. And then, of course, I'm going to teach you the 21 laws of leadership. Yeah. Yeah. Because those are actually real. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) If you're going to be a good leader, you got to know, you got to know how to do those things. But it's secondary to the formation of your character and the discovery of your calling. Yeah, it's good. Good word. 
The other thing we, when you share about leaders um, in the starfish model, you talk about leaders can operate as Atlas and exhaust uh, their soul and learn, or they can learn to share and, and rest on Jesus's shoulders. What in your experience and in your, your, your study of leadership in the church and, and traveling the world and seeing different models, why do you think leaders often want to choose Atlas and rather than resting on Jesus? And I say a thousand symbolically, like everywhere. <laughs> um, you know, we live in a culture that tells us, you know, we are what we do. Um, we are what other people think about us. And it's this vision that sort of operates uh, almost unconsciously inside of every human being. I am what I do. I am what other people think about me. Yeah. And, and so I have to find validation. I got to. I got to earn my worth. I have to. And we all grow up in dysfunctional homes (laughs) at some level or the other. And we can't help but project onto God, um, you know, the character gaps of our parents. And that's not to beat up on any parents. We all have gaps. But so then, you know, if I have a dad that was kind of distant and non-communicative, then I'm kind of going to assume God's the same way. What I'm trying to show you is like, no one gets out of childhood without a bunch of really bad scripts in their head, usually Hmm. about who God is about your own identity and how to fix those problems. And it's very possible to meet Jesus actually be regenerated. Um, but not address a lot of those scripts. Hmm. And so for a lot of church leaders, one of the things that we have to really be aware of is a lot of times we're trying to save and heal ourselves through ministry. Wow. Rather than allowing the gospel and Lord Jesus and his people, yeah. you know, to be the, the salve that we need. You know, so for me, what I, what I realized, you know, in my 30s is... Uh, a lot of what I was trying to do in ministry was associated with some really deep wounds in me Hmm. that had to do with some addictions in my family growing up. And, um, and God is so gracious, you know, like he was using me and um, flowing through me and doing, you know, good kingdom work through me. Um, and, and like everybody, I had good motives too. Like we're all a bag of mixed motives. So it wasn't all like, this is all about me and me <laughs> healing myself. All right. You know what I mean? Like a lot of it was like, I love these people and I love Jesus yeah. and I want my city to know Jesus, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, but a bunch of it isn't. I mean, yeah. listen, and I had a particular point where I finally broke, hmm. you know, and I realized I had this kind of false wall down in my basement that hmm. had a whole bunch of stuff behind it. And Jesus was like, we have to go in there. It's wow. like, Yoda telling Luke, you have to go into that tunnel. He's like, I don't even want that tunnel. The Darth Vader's in there. You know, it's like, and, but that's where my, I had to go back to the origin points of my own idolatry. Wow. And it took a lot of work, man. Yeah. Like a lot of repentance and a lot of, it involved inner healing prayer. Um, it involved counseling. It involved much higher levels of transparency and accountability with a few men in my life hmm. and my wife, hmm. you know. 
and new rhythms, you yeah. know, and habits. Yeah. And so um, Henry Nowen describes it this way. Like, if you aren't willing to do that work as the shepherd, you will end up eating your sheep. Wow. You're going to try to feed, get your significance off of them. Yeah. You know, and so, and then you are, again, you're exhausted because you're like, people are looking at a pastor nowadays or a church planner. And the expectation is like, you're going to be the smartest person in the room. Mm. You're going to kind of have the right answer. Whether I have a question about marriage or a question about culture, or like, I need an insight into this kind of deep theological paradox. Or, I mean, it's, yeah. it's, it's almost like you're expected to literally be the smartest person in the room on everything and always know the right direction the church should go and exactly how to handle this problem and that. And it's like, who can do that? Yeah, it's true. You know, it's true. and so that's why the starfish model, um, you know, more than half the book is about discipleship. Yeah. Because, it, because it's about, do I have Peter, James, and John? Hmm. Am I transparent like Jesus is about my fears and my worries and my anxieties and, yeah. And my identity, you know, am, am I, do I have my 12 that yeah. I'm doing life with, you yeah. know, and practicing spiritual habits with? And um, am I doing the work of repentance personally? Hmm. You know, am I allowing the Lord to show me where my image of him is corrupted yeah. or my self-image is planted in the wrong things? Yeah. And I think really that's the crux of it. Yeah. Um, as soon as you start doing that work, it leads to greater and greater humility. Hmm. And it leads to a greater and greater dependence on others, healthy interdependent kind of relationship. So you start going starfish the second you do, you start doing the work of real discipleship. It always has starfish kind of outcomes in terms of leadership and reproduction and influence. Yeah. But you said it's work. And so if somebody's listening in today and they're saying, yeah, you know, I don't have time for that work. Um, and uh, I'm not ready for that. What? Is somebody you've just shared, I went, you went through it. You shared your, you shared your story. What would, what words of encouragement would you give to somebody that says, yeah, I don't want to do that work. I would say, are you tired? Hmm. Are you weary and heavy laden? Yeah. Ask yourself that. And if you are, Jesus said, I'll come to me. To take my yoke, you know, it's my yoke is easy and my burden is light, you know, and if you're listening to this and you don't feel tired and weary and, and, uh, you're okay with the other yoke, keep going. Yeah. <laughs> cause, cause the, you're going to get to where you're tired and weary. And I know what it's like to be a young, strong man who thinks I'm invincible. And, uh, I don't know. You just like read some biographies, do a little research <laughs> in your Bible. <laughs> You're going to find no one, no one can make that journey. No one makes it like you just eventually it'll catch up to you, you know? And uh, this way of living is so life-giving, so refreshing. And actually we say this a lot in the can't see the underground slows the new fast. So if you slow down to actually do this work, um, you'll find the Lord quickening other things by his spirit. And actually he says, you will bear much fruit. Yeah. Like fruit is going to abound if you're willing to slow down and do this work. And it's one of those, you know, it's the whole kingdom reversal thing. 
Yeah. You know, it's like actually small is the new large, right? <laughs> Slow is the new fast. You know, last is the new first, yeah. right? Yeah. The servant is actually the new leader, yeah, you know? It's true. It's true. And so I just would encourage you not to, um, don't be brainwashed. Yeah. By our culture. Don't don't conform to the pattern of this world. Like this is the most important part. You know, yeah. Jesus was willing to make time with his father. He was willing to make time with his three. Yeah. You know, he he worked from a place of rest. It's a good word. You know, and we need to as well. Good word. Rob, I've enjoyed my time with you today. I'll put the links um, for the book um, in the show notes. And um, yeah, I've been challenged by it. And uh, it's just been a joy to spend some time with you today. We normally end the podcast in the time of prayer. Would you pray um, for those listening in, um, whatever direction, this, the, 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 the starfish model, and um, that we will be leaders that are dis- disciples, um, disciple makers, and discipleship will become who we are. And um, despite what our culture says is uh, that we need to be atlases and carry the leadership and all those things that we will rest in Jesus and um, yeah, give it to him. Would you pray for us? I sure will. Lord, I want to, I thank you uh, right now that you know, every single person who's listening, who will ever listen to this. I pray now that in this moment, they would feel the light of gladness that is on your face as you look at them and think of them. That they, like the disciples in the walk to Emmaus, um, like if their hearts were burning this morning, I pray they would invite you in, Lord, to the table. I pray for that Emmaus revelation of your face, Lord, of who you are in their lives that changes everything. But it requires that long walk and that conversation and that hunger to go deeper, to go to intimacy, to go to the table with you. So every heart that's listening right now, I just bless them with that hunger and that desire and that willingness to slow down and meet you at the table. And Lord, I pray for their healing. I pray for their flourishing. And then out of that, Lord, multiplication. And uh, I bless them with these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. 